everybody. Welcome back. We are the Devils in the Details, an Exorcist TV show fan podcast. My name is Tina. And I'm Zoe. And I'm Gaia. And we are here to rewatch and discuss episode one, season two of The Exorcist called Janice. It's directed by Jason Ensler. Uh, Heather Belson, I believe, was the main writing credit on this one. But essentially, Thomas and Marcus are now full on um, in a new world in near Seattle. And they are just kind of starting their new project where they find a new troubled woman named Cindy. And they are starting their path towards saving somebody new and different. And this is also when we first get introduced to John Cho's character's family, Andy, and the foster children who are all amazing. Uh, So it's been a while since we've been able to do a rewatch. I'm just so excited to do this with you guys again, Guy and Zoe. I... (laughs) have so much love still still a lot of pain from the cancellation but uh you know just excited to to go over this episode with with the two of you yeah same here yeah yeah can't wait i love series two i really do (laughs) well so i have like a billion gajillion thoughts as usual on this opening sequence we always talk about the opening sequence but where were you all (laughs) before i start yammering like an idiot yep Oh, it sets up a whole new, like, tone and direction and it explores kind of, like, Tomas's like, proposed powers and stuff. So it's a really good scene of, like, him going and going, oh, they're in a different church and, oh, what, what's what's going on? But all the colours are muted. This can't be good. This is, like, these are the weird muted tones I've come to associated with, like, the house where the possession happened. And then, obviously, it's just, like, you know, you got evil oily stuff coming out of pinatas and women appealing appearing from pools of blackness i'm like oh my god it's the weird goo from x-files and that's never good (laughs) (laughs) no but that uh, it's beautiful like the way that it just opens up so again we always say cinematically cinematically but good god like it feels like you're watching a movie in the slow motion thomas first you know opens his eyes and he transfers from the church to that that otherworldly picnic with the piñata and then we see our handprints on the wall the first imagery of that motif it's it's so beautifully done and it's in the stark contrast of all that that darkness as well ah it is yeah absolutely and it gives you the idea that something bad is going on and when we first see cindy uh, with the baby in her arms uh, and it should be a quiet and peaceful picture of a new mother, we already know something is not good at all. We And when she calls the baby her miracle, something that could be normal for a new mother, you already know that the way she looks at the baby, the way she says those words, it means something bad. It's not going to happen. It's already happened. Something bad happened to this woman. You have this feeling like someone is taking the breath from your lungs because you know something terrible already happened. You don't know what, you have no idea what is it, but something bad already happened. And you are left, okay, tell me. Tell me now because the tension of that scene is perfectly studied, is perfectly portrayed, but it's also a punch in your stomach, really. Absolutely. It's perfectly portrayed. And and 
it's exactly right. The music that they choose as well for when you're seeing her kind of this, my baby, my miracle. And it's um, the walking after midnight, you know, and it becomes an iconic uh, uh, tune, I think, in this particular season, uh, just because it has such a, a light, uh, typically a light mood. It's supposed to be kind of a, a happy romantic song, at least in my opinion. But when it's when it's juxtaposed with this what you know is it going to be a horrific, horrific storyline. It just it reeks of, of of eerie and awful and nasty. Yeah, absolutely. It's like always, like they uh, they did in the first season. All of these happen even before the titles. And you are ready, yeah. and you are ready are so so hooked to the new episode that. Mm-hmm. You almost are disturbed by the music and the titles because you want to know more. You want to see what's going to happen. You know it's a new beginning and you already want more. Yeah, it, it's like uh, this was one of those opening sequences for like a, a season premiere where I was just like, are you kidding? They just threw all that in the first, what was it, two minutes? It wasn't even two minutes. And they had that, and then you had like a high speed car race. You have Marcus being shouty. You have a <laughs> like the sheriff shooting at him. Like, what? It was, it was so, so much. much. Action. It's just like, whoa, we've just got into an action film. It's like, it's, oh my goodness. <laughs> Like, we're hitting the ground running. There's no time to be like, oh, what's going on? It's like, oh, my God, it's all going down. <laughs> it's all- <laughs> exactly. It's just, it was, it was so much. And then, and, and with, to your point about Tomas's power is like, we got a little bit of that this first season. But then when he comes back from his dreamscape vision and he's driving the car and Marcus is shouting at him, like, what is wrong with you? Like, stay on the road. I was like, my heart skipped a beat because I was like, ooh. Thomas is like dealing with some inner cool superpower superhero stuff. I'm into it. <laughs> I want to see him go into this dreamscape more, and I want to see more tension because I can already tell Marcus is not going to enjoy not this. Not at all. Not at all. But before we start with uh, the analysis of the second scene, can we please take a moment, Zoe? I know you are going to understand me. Can we please take a moment to? control back our hormones because if father marcus was damn hot dressed like a priest what can we say about <laughs> oh, I've, I've already written i've got a couple of lines in it yeah. my notes are only really small uh, yeah i've got an going to going on about like oh oh marcus's fashion oh the leather jacket oh Oh dear, yeah. <laughs> yes, can I just say I'm really proud of us. We this we, it was only seven minutes of us talking before we got into the sheer objectification of Marcus. Oh, so kudos yeah, to yeah. us. We did well. Just trying to stay there academic. We, yeah, we talked about cinematography. We talked about yeah. pace setting, tension, exactly. the, the beautiful like dialogues. Oh yeah, but also Marcus is damn yes. fine in his leather yes, jacket. He is. Damn fine. He's hot. <laughs> Come on, he is hot. Yeah, he really is. Okay, so he yeah. is. Uh, okay, he is. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, he had like an amulet yeah. on too. Like, there's this. I don't know if you saw the little, the it's like a little gold costuming department. Man, like, yeah, mm. they don't have a dress there. Yummy. Now. 
Thank you. <laughs> but and, but also we we also come on we we can't forget about Tomas with his brand new scruffy five no, o'clock shadow. Yeah, I do, I do <laughs> like him much better with a bit of the the, the yeah the facial grizzle up, and I'm like, ooh, you're getting rough around the edges there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes me curious to know, like, because, you know, this is supposed to be signify a passage of time. Anytime I think a costumer wants to signify passage of time, it's like change the hair, change the face, right? So they've done that. But I think it also signifies, you know, he's gotten a little bit more gritty with now his experience in the demon world. I get all that symbolism. But it makes me think, like, what would have season three, season four Tomas hair been like? Would he have, like, a cool, like, stash, like, going down? <laughs> like, a, maybe a handlebar mustache? Or... Growing his hair oh, no. out. And then he would have just like the scruffy hair that would have to yeah. keep, like going, like, running his fingers through. Is it like, you know, <laughs> a la Sam Winchester? Maybe some cool mutton chops yeah, on the sides, some like sideburns that yeah, are way too yeah. long for him. <laughs> we really should have had a third and fourth season. Come on, it really yes, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, I know we just spent a lot of time on the introduction, and of course, Marcus is a beauty. But <laughs> do we want to add anything more to the I'm, intro before we go I to the next part? I do actually want to talk about the actual opening sequence itself, because I love the yeah. series two opening yeah. more than the series yeah. one one. Yeah, because the iconography they used for it really does set up a foreboding and a creep factor that I find personally more chilling. Than the series one. The series one one was brilliant because I love the music, but it was all iconography to do with what you already knew about The Exorcist and from the movie. So it was iconography yeah. to do with a, a space you're familiar with and a theme. This time you watch it, kind of going, "This is this is weird." There's like swings with no children on them, and there's an island, and there's like that. The, yeah, what? and you're just like, it becomes foreign. And it gives it that creepier edge because it takes it to an unfamiliar setting. And therefore, with that creepy music going and all those little scenes you see, you're like, I'm more uncomfortable going into the series because I don't know anything. At least with the first series of The Exorcist, you knew you were going into The Exorcist and you got an eye and, you know, this, this is, yeah, it's got that kind of creep factor from being a bit more alien. And the introduction of the second plot line, it leaves you uh, confused for a moment because uh, at least with Cindy, we know she is possessed. We know we see her in a moment. Uh, the possession is already begun and already gone far enough that sh- we are we know we are losing her already. But with this new plot line, we don't understand the meaning why we are taken into the life of this man who looks like a very good man, a good father with a lot of problematic children and he loves them all and it's clear they love him. So you are confused. You don't understand why we should be interested in this new line while we left behind Cindy knowing that her time is running out. So for a moment you are like, okay, wait, what's going on? And that's how they keep the tension so high the whole episode. Agreed. It's And it's so brilliant because even in this short introduction, we don't see Cindy for long. And again, spoiler alerts, if anyone has not seen this full season, watch the full season because we're going to talk about a lot of spoilers right now. Um, but it introduces... 
uh, Cindy's character, and they could have introduced any demonically possessed figure, somebody who was feeling um, lustful, someone who was feeling a lot of avarice. Someone, but they specifically chose a character that we're only going to see for two, two episodes, really, that centers on the loss of a family member. And and I, that just weaves it so perfectly right into the overall arching story of of that loss of a family member through um, Andy's wife. And again, I, when I first watched it, I, I got all that feeling of ooh, something's wrong, the family. But to but it really just is is so beautifully woven into the overall story. That's one of those full circle things that I'm just uh, I, I on rewatch. I'm I'm really. I just fall in love with and it. It also more kind of time. reconfirms that idea you start having that it's women that get possessed. So it totally sets it up for the reveal, the fact that it, obviously this season it wasn't. And you just, because you're, you're hardwired through the film, the last TV show, now Cindy, your brain is being told that they take on loss of family members and women sometimes can come across more emotional and take loss harder, especially when it's their child, that nature of the mother. And again, it's another mother has lost a child and now she's possessed. And it just it just gets your brain going to that place where you're just thinking it's got to be another female character that's going to get possessed. Well, exactly. And that's why they do it so well and in, in, in to keep us guessing throughout this whole first half of the season of who's possessed. Even at the end of this episode, I'm kind of jumping around, but they even pan over to kind of like, to us, the audience, to say, you choose. Who could it be? Is it Priya? Is it not Priya? Is it uh, Verity that is possessed? Could it be Caleb, who's got weird eyes at this point? You know, the yeah. when they pan over at the very end, like they they want us to start questioning who it is. And my brain at that point, when I first watched it, was like, oh, obviously Verity. Yeah. Verity is like the number one. <laughs> like, exactly. She's got all all the markings of like awkward teenager. She's coming to that age. She's questioning like things. There's obviously the issues of sexuality yeah. and we already had that in the last series. So she's like melting pot of everything that we assume is going to be the possessed yeah. character. We learn since the beginning how deeply against religion she is. She's she's yeah. angry at right. the world. She's angry at God. She's angry at Andy somehow. She's angry at the system. She really shows all the signs that would make you believe she is the next possessed character. And f and fun fact um, about in this particular episode, remember when Verity does that kind of religious, uh, she, she does not believe and she does that, that prayer of the, and praying to the newly appendage, Raman, she kind of implies like, obviously I don't believe and I'm making fun of it. Well, um, and shout out to fan-eyed Cyan who pointed this out, is that the flying spaghetti monster is actually something that was written by um, by somebody who was critical of religion back in 2006 to argue that we could believe in anything. And he was arguing against the idea of teaching creationism in schools. So he's yeah. like, we might as well teach that there's a flying spaghetti monster in the sky. Yeah. Uh, so because that has just as much... Uh, credibility as this in, in the bible so he he posed that and so she references that basically whoever wrote this probably has a little bit of a background in atheism or that that critical eye of religion not only that but the flying spaghetti monster is it was the beginning and it was born as a joke of course of the pasta of the pasta farian church yeah right right, right. Pa the, the pasta farian mm -hmm. yeah so it started as a 
it started like a joke and now we have so-called church or religion that believes in the flying spaghetti monster. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) I believe mostly comprised of people who are critical of religion. (laughs) They're still joking about it. Yeah, Um, of course. But but they are are pushing to be recognized as a real church. Oh, are they really? Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah, 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 they are. They are. (laughs) Well, I I hope that they (laughs) get whatever they want (laughs) for their confirmation yeah in truth they are they are even reaching their goal i mean after uh i found out after the foundation of the jedi's force church that is recognized as a church as a religion so they have good chances to to be recognized too yeah well if scientology can get recognized why why the hell not isn't a spaghetti monster thing being recognized yeah I don't want to offend anyone, but it makes more sense than believing in Scientology. Well, so the way that we're going to structure this right now is the next critical scene we're analyzing is the entirety of Andy's family scene. So all of Andy and Caleb, etc., Rose entering in. We're doing it this way because there is quite a bit of a, of a jarring back and forth that happens towards the second half. So instead of going from scene to scene to scene, we'll analyze them as a whole right now. Um, and, and again, they have such beautiful scenes together and these introductions of these main characters and Rose's character as well. Uh, cinematically, we see also their home and the well. So the very, very opening sequence, we've got Andy and, and the kids first meeting each other and in their own special loving way um, as he's preparing them to go off to school. Yeah. So where I, were I we with this? Everything with the family scenes, it's just how much they're a nice, happy family they are a family unit and the first thing you will notice immediately with any of their scenes is it's all filmed natural light it's it's lush and there's greens and the house is warm and comfortable there's none of the gray tones and those like stowed down color palettes that series one had there's none of that there's no filters on the cameras and there's none of those earthy like tones those past demon colors it's all the whole way through the episode even at night time it's just clear night and they and they shoot it they shoot them walking lovingly through like swaying grass they shoot close-ups of birds sitting on moss covered rocks and you just keep thinking how could there be anything wrong because their environment is beautiful everything is telling you that all is good and the inside of the house it's warm and it's inviting and he's such a good dad and even though the kids all have their various problems, they're all on some like level sen, and it's like you know blind as autism. There's behavioural problems. There, I mean, two of them would, would be classed behavioural, one blind, um, and then an SLD with like, looks like autism, definitely ASD spectrum. And yet they're all they're functioning. They they're a unit. You just don't see where the threat is coming from. Agreed. There's a, when you talk about the unit, I saw that so much in that dinner sequence when they're even just their interactions together. You hear them when Caleb is speaking about his father. You know, I'm going to be able to go with my father. Your heart breaks for him because you know that that's not the case. As soon as they say that he didn't show up for his custody hearing, and then earlier in that scene, he had asked for cornbread, 
And then at the end, after his kind of heart breaks and he's slunk in his in his chair, Trunk passes him his cornbread. Yeah. You know, it's a very small little gesture, but you can tell that in their in their own special way, they yeah. do look out for and each other. Like, they care for each other. Well, it's like it's never it's not played sinister. It's not played like every time I see that well, I just think of the ring and the Japanese ring, not the terrible American one, the proper ring with the proper <laughs> reasons that she's in that well <laughs> and the proper how creepy the well is. And it's still, I don't get the, you get that it's the family rite of passage thing they're trying to do. And the only time it's truly creepy is when they kick the ball through the window with the hut. And then I start going, what is in there? I'm not scared of what's in the well, but there's something in that house. And it's like, they've obviously, and I I really, I mean, rewatching it, obviously I know where the horror comes from, but at that point you're like, oh, they're going to unleash something and it hasn't happened yet. Which obviously yeah. is very clever because the yeah. thing that's yeah. haunting them has is, is already happened. The possession has already happened. Yeah. To, to quote a famous horror sequence, it's already yeah, in the house. Exactly. It's in the house. But like, <laughs> by this point, watching it the first time around, I was convinced that we were following this family because it they were going to unleash something. It was going to come out of the house. It was going to follow their home. And maybe that bit when Caleb is standing on the well and when he cracks the floorboards, that's the moment it comes home. I would never in a million years have thought it was already in the house. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, it's uh, a little detail, but also a masterpiece that uh, track who is the one more sensitive, of course, because he doesn't have all the cyber structure that normal teenager have. Uh, he's not in a cage like we are. He's not um, um, caged by what society pretends from him so his mind is so pure so open somehow that he is the first one to notice something yeah when he looks at the house yeah when he looks at the when uh, after caleb walks over the those unbalanced floors and uh, yeah, yeah he stops he look at that small house in the background the door open and it's like someone is inside and there are like children noises and he's the only one and the first one who sees something happening and that's because and that's because his mind doesn't doesn't have any conditioning that society put on everyone else do you think it's because he's considered one of the most innocent characters in this? Yes, exactly. Exactly for that. Because sorry, sorry, and it's related no. to ASD. A lot of kids on the ASD spectrum see things we don't and perceive because like obviously because I work with them and you'll have children that are sitting there and they'll be turning around, communicating and playing with this force, this light, this something that they see that we can't because our our chemistry is not all over the place and it's yeah. just like and the way they perceive the world we will never understand mm-hmm. like the ones that see via smell and i can't remember what the name the name of the condition is but they can see light traveling but it smells oh, wow. and they interact with 
traveling light stuff. Have you ever seen, um, oh, it got canceled after two seasons because they love to cancel good shows. And it was one of the good shows about people with powers. Oh. And it had the autistic kid that could pick like transmissions from the air. Oh, oh Alphas. Alphas, yeah, Alphas. Yeah, 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 Alphas, yeah. Yes. Alphas had the autistic kid that could do that. Like yes. autistic children can see and feel and sense um, frequencies we can't. Yeah. So he's, he's tuned into that kind of supernatural frequency. Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. I never, I didn't think about it that way. I didn't even notice that he was the one that first picked up on the, on the creepiness of that house. So that's cool. And he was also, I mean, he was doing that sleepwalking thing. So maybe that was yeah. Yeah. agitated or caused a little bit by Grace's presence and yeah. It's or possible. maybe it was a red herring. I don't, I don't yeah, know. It's yeah. possible. It's, oh. it's really possible. And yeah, um, I mean, it's almost natural for us to expect that truck was the first one to notice something. And we know the presence aids him the most. We know what happened in the future episodes when he's the one sent right. away. Yes. Because the presence knows it probably can't even possess truck. So the demon needs oh. him away from the family because he wants to pick on every single one of them. But truck probably is the most complicated to possess. So uh, the only thing it can, the, the demon can do is to make sure truck won't, won't be an obstacle for him. So, but in a way, it did possess him, though, right? Like, wasn't he was, um, yeah, beating but, her against the it's, the wall? It's more like the demon plays on the unbalance of the chemistry in his yeah. brain. Yeah, it yeah. the demon doesn't really possess him. The demon makes sure to trigger, trust, manipulates him. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, yeah, and again with autism, far more open to suggestion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because you they because they can get hooked on thoughts and like be stuck in repetitive loops. So if it suggests something, he can get stuck in a pattern of repetitive right. that will play out. So it can whisper, get them stuck. It's it's why so this series is so brilliant for me because exactly. I'm like, no, oh, no, no, no. oh, I've worked with autism. I the way they use it in this series is yeah. so good. Yeah, and it makes you want like for me, I hate that demon even more because it's like, how yeah, dare exactly. you pick on somebody? Exactly. You know, who is who is this kind of like he's an innocent and, and he, he has a different way of viewing the world and that you just kind of stuck your little grubby needle into his brain to, yeah. to manipulate him. It's not no. right. There's this kind of like not rightness to it that makes yeah. you want to see this demon do- go down again. The same way that I felt towards um, last yeah. season's demon. I just want to see him done. So I'm already like, how dare you <laughs> for whatever's going to attack this family? Because I love this family already. Like from the very first moment meeting them, I loved every character. Every single one had their own personality, yeah. um, but they weren't trite. You know, there's, and that's ca- kind of dangerous when you write a character like uh, Brianne Hildebrand's character, she can play a very trite. Oh, I'm just a pissed off teenager, you know, but but she's not. She's much more complicated than yeah. that. And you see later in the season why she's so complex and why she has that anger. And it's justified. Yeah, of course. But the the great idea is that we find out we found out little by little by little. Every episode we are given a small yeah. puzzle piece that we have to put together to have the whole picture in the end. And that's why, once right. again the tension stays high all the season long 
there is no one moment yeah. in which you get bored. There is no scenes that yeah. you want to skip to reach yeah. the the other and the other. No, no, no. You want to follow every single mm. scene, every single moment, because you know at any moment you could be given another clue, another little detail that will make your whole picture even clearer. Yeah. Absolutely. So... I think we really should also focus on this Grace character because yes, it is I such it, 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 one of the yeah. biggest twists yeah. I think of all like, TV history. Yeah, did not see it coming, and I'm great yeah. with twists. I'm yeah. great with working out these things. Yeah, and I was like, oh my goodness, it fooled me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But watching it again, how seamlessly she fits she into fits their in lives. You even knowing that she's not there. She no, you can't see it yet. You can't see it. She's she's there for key moments. They totally explain the fact that she's got I don't know what what the English word for it in Japan it's hikikimori, which is the shut-in syndrome. Right, right. And you're like, she's totally just she's got shut-in syndrome. Shut mm -hmm. She's got such high anxiety. She needs homeschooling. Yeah. No wonder she can't come down to dinner with all of them. But she was there when they bring Caleb in and he's like, Go to bread grace, and you just see her like yep. patter off and stuff. And you just like it just feels so natural yeah. that she's in there and you just take her for like really being there but i but she's creepy herself too she's got that weird pillow <laughs> yeah okay yeah the weird pillow mask is odd but and i was like this is the one of the true things that i'm like well that's creepy and then i started yeah. thinking well they're obviously doing to make the little creepy girl so it's obviously you know another red heron yeah and the amount of red herons in this household yeah. is just like Insane. Like, oh, creepy pillow mask. Oh, I'm listening to the record. <laughs> 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 oh, no, I'm trying to find the right point now. <laughs> yeah, like Caleb, come yeah. on, man. Like, oh, my God, what's going on there? Oh, oh, nothing's going on there. You just can't quite find the right groove to put it in. <laughs> so, yeah. Who does that? Who just sits in their room, like, slowly, like, let me play this backwards. <laughs> Stare off into space. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on, TV show. The only little thing that cooled clue you in that something is wrong with Grace is the way she answers Andy. The voice. Her voice, it doesn't belong to a child that age. So what do you mean by that? Can you explain like with an example of what, what do you mean by like not her voice? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's something, you know. You, um, when at first she asks Andy if uh, the other children are going to school, she has a tone of voice that is mm -hmm. childlike. You think she is just another child in the house that, for whatever reason, doesn't have connection with the others. Then... When uh, Handy starts to ask her if she wants to join them for supper uh, and Handy tells her that Rose is coming to stay for a couple of days, she changes. She stops to answer like a child and something in, her, in, her, in, in the sounds her voice makes change. She is, she is not a child anymore. She has were like something older than she's supposed to be. And that could be the only clue you have that something is not right, that she is not who we believe she mm -hmm. is.
And the way she looks at Handy, those eyes, the way she looks at him, no, those aren't the eyes of a child. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the eyes of something older, something more ancient, and above all, something malicious. Yeah. But it only lasts for a few moments, so, uh, and it's a rewatching. So for us, it's really easier to say this. Yeah, now. I'm curious to know if they t- if they coached that little actress to tell her that she was going to be the demon in disguise. If if she knew, like she had to act a certain way to be like a little too cute. Yeah, I think she. I think they did because uh, uh, at some point uh, we f- we see the change uh, not in this episode but in the next few episodes she 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 has an evolution like any other characters she grew up she evolves into something else and i'm pretty sure that uh, an actor child is a lot easier to instruct because they are more like any children like any other children they are more immediate they are more sincere they are more honest in their acting because they they don't have all those uh, notions and ideas of how you should play a character it's a play for them it's a game and it's a lot Mm -hmm. easier to to have someone so innocent and so honest coming out from the screen at you like like really, yeah. she she's she's playing a game with Andy, and it's clear she <laughs> That's is, what she it feels is, like. Yeah, yeah, she's she's playing him, and poor Andy, you you really feel for Andy because I love him. Another male character I love that is going to to hand badly. Yeah, Bennett first, mm-hmm. and now Andy. Why? Why? Why do you yeah. hate me so much? <laughs> Yeah, I fell in love with Andy too. He was uh, John Cho in particular, just a great actor yeah. all around. Yeah, so exactly. when he was cast in this, and it's just it was perfect. It was like that yeah. icing on the cake type thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got so excited because there was an Asian. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's an Asian. Mm-hmm. Like we never get starring roles. We never get to play like this the regular dad character. So like, what do you mean you're not a martial artist or a hacker or? You know, some some very normally Asian background character that's like, ha, I'm the martial arts jewel thing yeah. hacker guy that's like, and it's like, no, I'm just a dad. Yeah. I just happen to be. Well, Asian. I was going to save this for uh, the behind the scenes tidbit. But um, and again, thank you. I'd Cyan basically helped me find all the behind the scenes stuff for this episode. So thank you, I'd. Um, but she noted to me that in an article, John Cho was interviewed in, at the Entertainment Weekly about his casting. And the reason is that he said, I quote, I hadn't seen Asians in this genre of horror except the stuff that I'd seen in Asia. So that was really cool to me. I wanted to plant that particular flag. Um, and I was like, thank you, John Cho, for doing that, like for choosing to accept this role, because exactly what you're saying, Zoe, is we don't see that kind of diversity, um, Asian characters, particularly in this in this genre, or just not even in horror, just uh, playing a character that is more complex than yeah. I'm going to do martial arts or I'm going to hack yeah. something. Like, it's just... Super happy about that. Yeah. What else do we have? Because we are we're focusing right now, you know, mostly on their family, but they had a lot I, of stuff that happened I with think, them throughout this entire episode. Okay, I think we should point out the moment the balance is broken when Rose arrives. Okay, and uh, it's yeah. a scene inside the scene because it starts with the children 
going to school and then we shift focus and we focus on the adult we see andy looking over the lake the boat arrives and rose is there mm. and you know the moment the the camera frames rose face that she is going to break the balance she is the casus belli that will bring chaos into this family even if it's not her fault and we know since the beginning since the moment andy greets her that there is more between those two that a casual meeting uh, he is a foster parent she works for child protection service but there is more you know the moment they look at each other that there is more there is a history in their past they already met and perhaps they have feelings for each other and finally you realize something wait a moment andy is a foster parent he's a foster dad where is the mom where is the foster mom because it's very unusual for yeah. a foster single parent to have that number of children in his house and it's even rarer that is the male member of the family who takes in those children so you suddenly know that rose is the casus belli to break what you thought to be an idyllic family an ideal family an ideal environment yeah. and you know hmm, okay yeah we are something bad is going to happen yeah hit me hit me with the tragedy and right. the drama because i'm here for this yes absolutely no good point i i to to, to be able to create the story you have to you have to create a, a feeling of ease and everything is idyllic and perfect and then drop something to add the tension and rose rose does that well without adding again another trite character she's somebody that has her own complexity you know when she mentions to andy look uh, when he brings up well i hope the past doesn't uh, taint your report about us and she of course you know speaks like oh you know like i that you would imply that i would like let that affect my job here so you can you already see in her and her personality that she's here to do good work yeah it's clear but it's also clear mm -hmm. that against their will because she is not there to create chaos or to create trouble for this family something will happen because of her it's also nice again another asian actress especially an Asian actress, there's like two main cast Asians in this and so many of the tropes, like even more so this series than this one, are things that come over from the Asian horror scene. There's things in here, that, in both series, that remind me of the fact that I grew up watching Asian cinema and Asian horror films and the fact that in a lot of Asian horror, it's all set around the family unit. Like Western horror, it's generally, it's teenagers, really. It's not set around the family unit and that's because A, the family unit is the more pronounced like thing in Asia. They don't have such a teenage culture, but they do have a much bigger family culture. And a lot of Asian horror is all about fear and anxiety in that unit or how something threatens that family unit and then manifests as a real supernatural oh, wow. like, entity. Yeah. So, so again, with this series, the, the unit is, is happy and it's good. 
something comes in that allows them to feel anxious, that could upset this family unit, could possibly tear it around, leading to anxiety that will lead to something manifesting that will literally tear the family apart wow. and haunt them. And how, what a coincidence that um, part of our bonus today at the end, we're actually watching an Asian horror film and analyzing Darkwater. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. wow, how apropos. So <laughs> very cool. Um, yes. Thank you, Zoe. That's very insightful. What what else do we have? Do we want to add any more to the to the family scenes? The the last bit we must mention is when obviously Rose is exploring the house and they're dropping all the red herons of is it this child that's <laughs> creepy? Is it this child? And then we also have and look at this wall with handprints oh. on it. Where have we seen the wall with handprints? No idea. And we're like, wait a minute. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, okay. There is going to be a connection because it was it was Tomas's premonition that led him to Marcus. Therefore, we know that someone is trying to lead Tomas to this family eventually. Yep. So there is a reason for it. And having that like, aha moment. <laughs> is it God leading or is it the demon? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, I love the imageries. I, I love the, their choices. Like they, they make such intentional choices with what their motif is going to be. The handprints are yeah. going to pervade this entire series. They are going to mean more than just being yeah. creepy little like hands. It, it's it's so much more than that. And yeah, it's done There's beautifully. There. That yeah. and the return of the original oh. theme. The doom, doom, doom. Oh, chills. Oh, oh. It's like it's when that music plays, and I think yeah. is it carrying Grace to a yes. bedroom at that point. Yes, and then you yes. see the handprints. Yes, you kind of, you sit there and it's a true like, oh shit yeah. moment. Something is going to go down. It's a proper like, oh, oh, something's wrong. Something might have followed them home from the woods. Now that they rescued Caleb. Oh yeah, no, no, he's, followed, he's carrying Caleb. That's what it was. And you're yes. like, oh, something's yes. followed them home. Something has fallen high. That's the, the I thought it was get. a well demon. I really thought they were going to go like full on water demon in this one. Yeah. <laughs> they going to have like someone with black hair like crawling out. Yeah, I thought they were going to go full... <laughs> The ring, yeah, yeah. it was gonna yeah. go. Or full dark water, you never yeah. know. There was also <laughs> creepy. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. Same director. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, the other point is we get our first, our first, like solid proof of something supernatural yeah. is when Andy's in the woods and oh, the caterpillar drops down yes. and he looks yeah. up and you yes. see bugs and you know yeah. where there's bugs. There's demons. We know that there's demons, and that's when you know that that house is haunted because and yeah. Something and is... we get another clue because who is the first character noticing the bugs and uh, everything that's going on? Andy. I thought it was Shelby. No, Andy. It's Andy oh. who has the yeah, yeah exactly. Oh. And he he raises his eyes and he sees the caterpillar and he's like, mm, "What's that? Why is that?" It, yeah, something's creepy because it's clear yeah, by his expression that it never yeah. happened before. Yeah, that's the first. That's the first time he sees something like that. Uh, ah, yeah. so is that the, is that the yeah. first realm of possession infestation when you've got bugs and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think... Yeah. With death comes decay, and the best things yeah. that like decay are things that eat decay. Yeah, yeah, like you never just see, like, in a decay. possession movie, an infestation of, like, cute little bunnies. It's always something really nasty. <laughs> no, no, because at that point, yes. they will turn mm -hmm. into killer bunnies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Now we're getting to the horror comedy genre, which I would be happy to analyze. I love horror comedy. I love yeah. tomatoes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Black, yep, yep. Everything Black that sheep. just uh, satirizes it. So, <laughs> well, cool, cool. So, why don't we get into the uh, main characters of my heart, yeah. Tomas yeah. and Marcus and Cindy, yeah. all in uh, the barn, um, which is yeah. so well done. I love everything about it. I love the Jesus saves graffiti. I love the green yeah. truck moving in, and like as Tom, as Marcus like rips apart the doors, and they set her down, and then you see the lights coming in from the windows that look like eyes i just oh as the possession gets more and more and the exorcism is getting more intense first swinging lights then swinging lights and swinging chains and just oh yeah. it's all ramping yeah. it's all yeah, ramping it's perfect everything in those sequences is perfect Ugh. the moment the moment marcus sends tomas away with an excuse and even tomas realizes it's an excuse yeah. to keep him from cindy uh, the moment he opens the barn's doors and there is light there is the sun and we only see the shadow of his body walking away and it's perfect god it's so perfect it's so perfect because at the, at that point we we almost can physically see what Marcus is trying to do. He's trying to push him away from the darkness inside the barn with Cindy oh, into wow. the light, into the light, because he knows Tomas is vulnerable right now. He knows Tomas has a mission. God gave him a mission, so he pushes him towards the light to keep him away from the darkness. And oh, he stays crazy. back. He stays back. He stays into the darkness to keep fighting. Wow. To keep doing what he knows how to do. And that's so deep. Perfect. That's so deep. And I, I, I think all of that was done on purpose. The director, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but uh, Jason Ensler, um, who, if you don't follow him yet, follow him on Instagram. Because he is a very gifted photographer as well as a, a director, apparently here in this episode. Uh, but he's able to capture things on film just with a, with stills, with photographs that within those pieces you could just stare at them for quite a quite a bit and and find a lot of beauty within the details of it. And so when he framed that, even the sequence of just you know having Cindy in the middle of the frame and and you've got the the windows that. I think kind of defy physics like the 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 light shines both uh, from both windows towards her which I don't think can be done by the sun I think if it's like from one angle wouldn't they just both wouldn't the rays of light go this way but actually I'm they're they're aiming this way did you see that Zoe like where the light was coming this way at her body from the two windows yeah yeah it does that so I was just yeah. like I'm pretty sure that was done post like production because you can't do that with actual light <laughs> or or unless they like just put the anyway i think they did that on purpose because they were trying to create this feeling of 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 symmetry and and darkness contrasting with the light outside of the barn and and it was just all just i don't know done all very artistically so i was just oh, hats off to to mr ensler and that team there yeah compliments mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. it was perfect the whole sequence was very well thought, very well realized. It, yeah. There is nothing wrong in that scene. Nothing. 
yeah. no mistakes, no, no, nothing, nothing. It was really perfect. Yeah. And it's not something that you see very often in a TV show because the time you have to shoot the whole episode is not even comparable with the time you have to shoot a movie. So to be so perfect, so right, it's not easy. Uh, this show had a very high quality in the photography, in the shooting, in everything. The plot, the script, the acting, everything was great. And I still can't believe, okay, a moment to bitch about this, but I still can't believe it got cancelled. Oh, I know. I know. No, like watching it, yeah, the cinematography and just the the pacing and the iconography, just the tension building. Like this series, I just adored, and I was like, "This uh -huh. is yeah. so good." I just don't understand why others because don't it wasn't see promoted. It. That's the, best the sole reason is because like Fox didn't advertise it. <laughs> And it just sucks yeah. because more and more people keep watching it and saying, how did I miss this? And, oh, my God, it's canceled. Like, ugh. Yeah. And they haven't no. even given us DVDs to no. buy. No, it's crazy. It's like they did everything in their power to have it canceled. I had a dream they got renewed a couple nights ago. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Oh, and I got no. an email. Like, apparently, Jeremy Slater, like, emailed me to tell me that. <laughs> I was like, wow, thank you for personally letting me know, Jeremy Slater, that you got renewed. And it was, and I woke up and I was like, none of that made sense. Who knows? I need to talk about Marcus shouting at the demon, we glory in our suffering. We glory in our sufferings. Because I just, I love him screaming. I just want to see him screaming over and over again. Everything he does is brilliant. But yeah, his aggro force of nature, yeah. like, is just. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pure. We miss this, him so bad. Well, I, I love just that the demon is continuously trying to tear them apart from this very first episode. You can tell that yeah. he's like, oh, well, he doesn't need you. Talking about Tomas doesn't need Marcus anymore. And trying to talk to Tomas is like, uh, he's, you know, you can do things that, you know, you, sh you shouldn't be able to do. And just trying to get into his cockiness and his arrogance. So... But what's nice is it just, it, it fails all that like, oh, he can do this without you. So Marcus, instead of being all like sensitive and all like, oh God, and insecure about it, he goes, okay, so I'll put my faith in this man because he can do great things and I trust him. And he leaves Tomas with the demon to exercise him because he's like, okay, if he doesn't need me, I'm not going to sit about and cry yeah. about it. I'm going to do exactly. what I can do. Right. Which is to punch hillbillies apparently. Yeah. That's <laughs> what he can do to help. Oh, <laughs> sexy, sexy punching. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But the gaze, the gaze he has in the last sequence when he looks at Tomas, he left him inside yeah. because he was sure oh. he would exercise her, he would free her. And what he does, Tomas got caught in his vision, in mm. his power. We still don't know who gave him mm -hmm. that power in truth and marcus is like why 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 did you do this i gave you time i gained time for you i even admitted my worst fear when he says i'm not yeah. a priest it's the first time he admits what was taken from him and what 
Thomas does is to waste everything he did because he wanted to do it his way because he thought he was cocky enough to believe that his way was the best one after six months. My dear, six months are nothing compared with a lifelong of experience right. Marcus has. Right, but he does have something that Marcus yeah. doesn't have. He's able to open his yeah. mind up, so we might as well just, you know, play around with it and check it out to see if he can save Because it's coming from a good place. He wants to save her. Yeah, but at the same time, he gets so demon-throttled. <laughs> he completely fell for the trap. And he was like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Oh, no, I'm being strangled. I'm like, oh, dude, you're not ready for this. Yeah. You can't go mind-deep diving on your own. You need an earthly tether. Yeah. That's why he needs Marcus. And did you ever hear that if you look into the abyss long enough, the abyss will look into you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect quote, yeah. perfect quote, yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on, you open yourself to the demon and you believe that the demon will stay there and say, oh, you open up to me. You know what? I must to give up yeah. this innocent soul because you <laughs> were so brave opening to me. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, he opened come that on. door. He definitely, you know, oh, the yeah. um, the... That was one of the tweets that Heather Belson confirmed when one of the fans asked about the Janus naming, uh, the Janus God being that, you know, the God of doorways. And Heather Belson said, um, yeah, he opened it up and Marcus tried to warn him. And, you know, there's a price to pay for that. He was, yeah. 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 Janus has a beautiful iconography in truth. It represents and means so many things, but I will well, talk about this. My question this is, because it leads right into the writing room, your topic, Gaia. Do, oh, do, before we get into that, do we want to add any you know, lasting thoughts onto any of the, the scenes of the episode? Uh, I think... Marcus is really, really sexy when he's a bit bleeding. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, thank you, Zoe. And also... Hot- my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. You speak to my cold and dark heart. <laughs> my, 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 my dark, horrible, fangirly mind is always a bit like, oh, a bit beaten, a bit rough. <laughs> oh, oh, I like that. Oh, dear. Oh, you've been tied up now. <laughs> yeah. But also, but we get to see Marcus actually yeah. kick ass. The only reason he got taken down is because more guys turned up. By the time it was four on yeah, one. Yeah, like six. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, Whoa, you always knew Marcus was going to be tough, but to see him actually being able to roughhouse, I mean, he takes those punches and he just gets up and he's just like, yeah, yeah, what are you going to do about yeah. it? I took that. Mm. Yeah. 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 So, we saw a little bit of it with like Brother Simon when he was like, Brother Simon, you know, like yeah. putting him underwater. But I was like, give me more, give me more. And they gave me more in episode one. I was like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> But yeah. So true. So true. Well, then, should we uh, segue into the okay. writer's room? We can do that. Let's segue in. This is me driving in. We are now in the writer's room. Gaia, take okay, it away, perfect. Please. I have three concepts to explore in the writing room today. The first one is the title, Janus. Janus is the Roman god of everything double. Uh, Janus was... Uh, probably not one of the most known gods, but one of the most important for the Roman people. Uh, His temple stayed open all the time of the civil war. 
Roman had a history of wars, of course. It became the most powerful empire, not with diplomacy, but with war. So in the time of war, Janus' temple was always open. Only when Rome finally reached peace, the door was were closed. And all, after that, only once a year, the door were open again to allow the people to pray to the god. Janus is the, the god of life and death because he has two faces, an happy one and a very sad one. So when the statue showed the happy face, everything was good. When the statue showed the other face, everything was bad. So he is the god of peace and war life and death, but also light and darkness. So there is a parallel that his figure traces for humankind and is the same, is the god of balance and is the same balance we find in the today's episode. Because if we use a clock to count how many minutes we spend following Marcus and Thomas and how many minutes we spend following Andy and his family, we find the perfect balance between those two plot lines. And that's because Janus is the god of balance and also light and darkness. That is perfectly represented in the today episode because uh, uh, we have the scenes in which Cindy is back lucid enough to be in control of her own mind. And those moments are the light moments in her plot line. When the demon is in control, those are the darkness, the dark moments in her plot line. Also with Andy, when everything looks perfect and lightly and beautiful, those are the light moments in his plot line. And then immediately after, we have the dark moments in his plot line and is all perfectly balanced. Another thing I want to explore is that uh, unlike the first season, this season breaks with the classical um, Aristotelic uh, way we still use today in a movie. Unity of time, space and place. When you make a movie, you follow these rules who were given by Aristotle in his poetic, in, uh, in the fifth century before Christ. And we still follow those rules. This season breaks those rules because we, uh, we follow things happening in different moments, in different places. And that's because this season is like a road movie. The genre is usually used to indicate a character growth, an evolution. Something is changing, 
something is uh, going to turn our view of reality. That's what a road movie usually does. It it shows us what happened to a character during his arch. It explores the change and how things are going to turn out for this character. We know that Thomas is going to grow up. Thomas is going to change, but also Marcus is going to change. And uh, the way the rules are broken by the directors and the writers is perfect to explain that nothing is like we left it. Nothing at all. Because at some point, and this is a great way to introduce us to this concept, is that um, six months passed. We know this because uh, Thomas says it on Marcus' face. And it reaches us a lot better than if, for example, they could have used something very weak, like uh, uh, opening the show with six months later, writing it. And that would have been a mistake, a terrible mistake, because we would be like uh, detached by the action in the Mm -hmm. show. But hearing one of the main characters stating it for us is a lot better because you immediately start to think, wait, six months, what happened in six months? What's going to happen? For the first time, those characters are out of their comfort zone because both of them were used to be protected by the church. Now they are alone. They are alone in a world that doesn't understand them and what they do. Because if the rest family was all united to defeat Pazuzu, Cindy's husband doesn't believe in what they are doing because they, what happened? And here we have a connection with what happened in the second plot of the first season. We realize that the church is still corrupted. The church is still... Because uh, the husbands say, we went together and they said no. And Marcus tells him, I am the one who doesn't say no. So we still have this very little connection with the second plot line of season one in the same time. And the fact that like also didn't, didn't Bennett also say like, no, Marcus said, oh, I wish Bennett's intel would have mentioned the husband, but that still gives us a little hint that Bennett is feeding them intel and doesn't trust the Vatican right now. So that that story is still going on. It's just, it's little, but it's it's exactly. So So we, uh, the second season totally break with, uh, with the first one. The first one was classical. It followed rules. We know since episode one of season two that no rules will be followed. And that's beautiful <laughs> because it gives, it oh, gives you a bigger brief. You don't know what to expect now. You don't know where they will end up 
in the next episode they don't we don't know what's going to happen while the first season exactly. was all around chicago and the Rance family and sometimes we we had the plot with yeah. the church and the corruption here you really have no idea what to expect and it's perfect and it's also something that they did in second season for a reason because before you can break the rules you need to show people that you know those rules very well season one was yeah. written and shoot in a classical way in a perfect way nothing was amiss nothing was wrong now that they showed us okay people we know our how to do our job we know what to show you to entertain you to take you into the story we want to tell you now forget everything you learn about rules because we are going to break them all and we are going to take you straight from your living room and take you inside our story and that's perfect that's wow. that's beautiful yeah that's great that's awesome guys you make me think about some of those other things that uh maybe lesser writers or lesser directors do in some of those tv shows that try to scare us you know they'll say it's six months later um, at the start, but they'll also do that other cheap trick, which I never see in The Exorcist, which I'm glad we don't see in The Exorcist, but it's like, they'll jump into a really horrific scene, right? And it's like, oh, blood everywhere, people are screaming. And then the next sequence, it says, three days earlier. Yeah, no, 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 so, no, you, you must show me, you must take me into those three days. You don't have to, you have to show me, show, don't tell. And that's exactly what the directors, the writers do with this second season. They show, they don't tell. And it's perfect. And it's exactly. perfect. It's really perfect. Okay, yeah. I'm, I, I promise I will stop awesome. fangirling now. <laughs> oh, no, please keep fangirling. I love, I love hearing your writer's room segments. They always reveal something new for me. Makes me love it more. Thank you. I want to do our fan shout outs of the week today. It's two. I mentioned the first person already earlier um, on Twitter at IDE underscore CYAN. I'd Zion, thank you so much for all the behind the scenes trivia, uh, which she's still tweeting at me right now, which I'm like, yes, this is so uh, great. I, there's another one literally live. This just in Marcus's line, we glory in our sufferings is from Romans 3 5. Thank you for that. I did not know that that line. Uh, from this episode was from the Bible. That's awesome. And the second um, Exorcist fan want to shout out to is at Mikanet TW. So I'll spell that at M-I-K-I-N-E-T-T-E-T-W, who is a brilliant artist, has created some really cool fan art on Twitter. Um, and just it, if you if you want to look at some good fan art, check out Minikit. TW and I apologize for messing up that name. I'm sure that I messed that up gloriously. Um, and thank you for your support of the show. Keep creating that art. All right. So shall we transition to Dark Water? All right. So for those just listening right now, we are doing something new. We're adding a little bonus extra at the end of this. Uh, we, in preparation for this episode, watched a movie in the genre of horror slash demonic possession because we're all kind of obsessed with it. This movie this week is called Dark Water. And I'm going to let Zoe uh, 
kind of give a description and start us off because she's the one that, that thought of this and exposed us to this great piece of art. Um, please, Zoe, take it away. Uh-huh. So Dark Water is an amazing film by director Hideo Nakata, who is the same guy who directed and created the original Japanese ring. So he's got a very much a style and um, a way of storytelling. The reason I chose Dark Water and the reason why I thought people who watch The Exorcist must see this film is because in series one, they had the bit where Angela kept looking up at the ceiling and this damp patch was spreading. And as anxiety rose and as the foreboding continued, this dank, dirty patch of water started appearing on the ceiling. And when she finally broke and couldn't control her emotions, she did so in the shower. So that kind of like, that bathroom was the setting of just anxiety and breaking and all that. And it just reminded me so much of Dark Water. And the other great thing about Dark Water is it's much a trope of a lot of Asian films, particularly Hideo Nakata's ones, and which is the anxiety centered around the family unit and of mothers and their relationship to their children and that protective streak a mother has for their child and if something comes in and threatens that it's horrible and therefore the best horrors are the ones that make something supernatural also layer on top of what is an existing fear and anxiety and dark water is basically newly divorced mother still struggling to find a place to live and a job so she can support her child she's just starting out in this life and she wants custody of this child and the courts are like if you can prove you can be a a good strong stable parent you'll win custody of your child and obviously because you are the mother mother tends to get the first rights of looking after child so young mother and child move into an apartment block And eerie things start happening and their anxieties start rising along with this dark patch of water that is slowly making its way across the ceiling and the the water infecting their lives. And they're being haunted by this presence that shares this building. And it's an absolutely genius film. When I first saw it, it terrified the pants off me. It was truly creepy. And it's just a truly brilliant horror film. And I'm convinced that the people who make The Exorcist have, must have watched Dark Water and The Ring. <laughs> Absolutely. And so first, I have to just say thank you. Thank you for, you know, exposing me to this because I don't think I'd ever would have watched it if you hadn't said, let's watch this and analyze it. And it blew me away. It really was. Um, it's an older film, right? I mean, this isn't like from 17 or 18. It's like early 2000s, no, maybe? from 94. Right? Oh, I'm completely off. Never mind. <laughs> 1994. No, no, well, it might might be later. I'm gonna I'm gonna have yeah. to double check that quickly because yeah. was I thought it was the 90s, but well, that, no, I think all all that to say is that they don't they're not able to rely on special effects to do any of their scares. I think they did a really good job of all of that suspension of of you have to you have to really just kind of wait and and listen to a lot of nothingness, which to me always makes me like cringe because i'm going what is about to jump out at me and they don't do a lot of those jump scares if anything it's just all that quiet and the and the camera zooming in on that spot on the ceiling that's dripping dripping and then it slowly pans over to the girl who's just eating her soup and it's just slow kind of things that make me just feel not at ease um and and then finally when it builds up to the main main horrific 
you know, climax with all of the the ghost girl coming in, and uh, it, it 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 gave me a lot of scary scary feels. So I just I want to say thank you for that. Um, I will I do have to open this by saying that my husband is a very sarcastic person. So when we first started watching this movie together, and we see the first signs of the water, I just have to add that he said, and I quote, "That water's not that dark." And I uh-huh. said to him, "Okay, that's." Yeah. hilarious yeah. <laughs> you think you're really funny like, yeah. you wait you will see some actual dark water <laughs> in this movie <laughs> it gets darker <laughs> i just wanted to throw that out there as that was the opening sequence for it's just, me and what i heard oh, <laughs> it's just i mean there's so much i mean i could talk about this film for friggin' hours because yeah. it is brilliant and i i used to use it as an example of like horror cinema at its best when I studied back in the day and yeah. it's just there's many layers the other thing that reminds me of The Exorcist is its use of filters so obviously the, fil- the film's 2002 I looked it up yeah. but it, cool. it's 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 daytime kind of industrial grayer looks but whenever mm-hmm. they do the flashes to the past for the original like missing child it's done with that green filter so everything's yeah. like filtered through that green as if the past is saturated as if it's been flooded and it's left time to go moldy and you know it's just been it's water damaged and yeah. whatever happens when you leave stagnant water over well in this case the lens and that's how you feel that's happening to that that child that's gone missing that's now haunting the apartment and it's things like that that remind me of the exorcist yeah. and it's all that it's all that it's it's what i'm going to be saying the whole way through series two Asian horror very much relies on a haunting of a family unit and nothing brings more fear in Japan than a ruptured family unit because everything in Japanese society is about family unit you and especially for women you're there's that expectation that when you get married you quit your job you become a housewife and a mother it's called Rusai Kembo which is um good wife wise mother and that's your role. You become good wife, wise mother. And there is nothing that breaks that than single mothers in Japan. And I've written giant papers on this. Yeah. That single mothers in Japan are really looked down on. And a yeah. lot of single mothers um, don't get custody of their children because a single mother is seen as something as, as a mental illness. Oh, that's So terrible. if you're a single mother, you're obviously going to be a bit more stressed because you're a single parent. Yeah. But mental illness is a good chance that you'll be put into one of these asylums for single mothers because you can't deal with the stress of raising a child alone because you're not meant to work if you work how can you look after your child yeah so you can't be a mother and it's all like so a lot of the time it's a the double-edged sword they the... can't win you can't win it's at all awful. plus there's oh. not really benefits for single mothers either they don't really have oh. that so a lot of the time the children end up in the custody of the father technically the custody of the father's parents yeah, dad can work because the dad is a provider. He doesn't have to do any of the nice family bonding stuff. He just has to provide money and then grandparents right. will raise child. So the fear comes in the fact that she desperately wants to have a job, raise a child and not break up this family unit. And the pressures from our husband is clearly not a nice dude who's just going, oh, yeah, she's had mental illness. Yeah. And mental illness is such yeah, a Yeah, way to throw her martyr. under the bus to, to the people that were investigating her to yeah. see if she was fit for this role and to tell them immediately she wasn't she didn't she wasn't mentally fit Ugh, what a bad dude I was a not mental illness can literally be you can be it could be stress and anxiety which is a very common thing but obviously 
it's oh. and then and to add a haunting to it it's just like oh she's having a breakdown because she can't com- she can't be a single mother and actually she's like she's not having a breakdown because she's a single mother there's a demonic ghost girl trying to like drown her baby daughter well not she's like four you know trying to <laughs> drown her child yeah. and leaving creepy knickknacks in the hope the child goes and throws herself into a water tank to die because she wants a mummy and she's imprinted onto this woman who's yeah. a really good mother yeah and she's got all those wonderful motherly instincts she's just like trapped by that's that what i was confused by rules. i wanted to know like what was the motivation for this this you know dead girl to try to kill this mother is it because she wanted her own ghost mother she was just feeling so alone the- okay okay that's what yeah. i got i was just um, like wow that's kind of selfish little four-year-old girl ghost <laughs> like why would you do that yeah. that's the, the the thing about like the Asian horrors is is the fact that they don't do the American happy ending. Yeah. It's always bittersweet because in a way you feel a bit sorry for the girl that's originally drowned because she drowned because her mother didn't come and pick her up. She walked home. Walked she home, fell. Yeah. She drowned. She's now infested in the water. She's lonely. She's scared. She wants her mummy. She yeah. sees this mother come into this building. And it's obviously an old building occupied by older tenants. So yeah. she hasn't seen a mother figure in so long. She's just like, oh, my goodness, it's a mother. And yeah. it's what I didn't have. And she'll look after me. And the fact that the mum makes the choice to die and stay with Ghost Girl because it means it prolongs her baby girl's life. Yeah. It's just that, yeah. like, oh. It was- Oh, you always That's, come away from these films kind of half wanting to cry rather than being I, scared. I loved the creepy scene of like when she first explores this apartment, when they're first getting into the apartment, it's like the first few minutes and you think it's her little daughter who grabs her hand on the elevator. Yeah. And I'm like, the angle of that is not quite right. And it gave me the willies because I was like, oh, that's a ghost. That's yeah. a ghost. <laughs> ghost <laughs> fingers. Ghost fingers. Yes. <laughs> oh, that like, yeah, spirit touch and haunted hand holding thing. I mean, that's creepy. And yeah, again, yeah. It's, oh. it's all these little details. What? Uh, so maybe you can explain this a bit because I think it's just something we heard, but we don't know Japanese culture that much. But does this ghost live on the fourth floor? Because the, the, the family lives on, on the third floor. The main woman lives on the third floor. Yeah. And the ghost lives on the fourth. And there's something, I don't know if it's... It's in Korean. In Korea, they don't have a fourth floor on buildings. So it's not in Japan. In Korea, oh. they don't have a fourth floor because four is the number of death. So yes. it's a bit like our 13. So all apartments in Korea are made about the fourth floor. And there's a lot of like horror films centered around the thing and then going, oh my God, we're on the fourth floor. Fourth floor. So, so it I wasn't that, Are they yeah. trying to do that a little yeah. bit of that too? The fourth floor? It's probably, I think it's a fourth floor, but the Jap- Japan doesn't have the same mythology around the fourth floor because I've been on the fourth floor in Japan, but unlike when I lived in Korea and it was so weird going up to my apartment because it'd be like one, two, like three. Oh, I'm on fourth number five now. <laughs> there's just no fourth floor on buildings because of crazy superstitions. Yeah, yeah. That's the but, same thing yeah. with our... It, I don't know if you know this. If, I, don't, I think this is maybe just American, but we don't have 13th floors in a lot of hotels for that reason. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And we don't have 13 and 17. Oh, no, so. you don't have 17 either. We just have... Just 30, it goes from 12 to 14. But you know where you are, 14 floor people. Yeah. You're on 13. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. And when people believe they are on room 18, no, no. you are on room 17, yeah, 17 here in Italy. So 
don't uh, don't say that around but yes yeah we we have both because we have a lot of tourists from america so we don't have 13 floors on 13 rooms or even in planes when you when you take a plane yeah you don't have uh you don't sit in number 13 or 17 not at all (laughs) they don't exist no yeah so humans are weird in truth (laughs) 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 not that number i like 11 and 12 but 13 you can get out of here you're weird (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and then i also saw that the name uh of the dead girl was kawaii and i was like doesn't that mean scary or cute okay kawaii is cute kawaii is scary so it was just but there is also the kawaii which can be a name that's spelled differently because it had to be particularly kawaii would be cute kawaii yeah. would be scared kawaii it's just like yeah i was wondering if they were naming her scary like scary girl or whatever i no 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 you would they would say she was scary she'd be being at coil but yeah no she was just poor little innocent thing that fell in a water bud and drowned became manky (laughs) yeah she was pretty scary in that full like when they have her in the full costume of the decaying flesh and everything And again, it's so nice to not have special effects. And most of the yeah. horror comes with them probably behind the camera, pouring a jug of water. And you're going, oh, water's coming, maybe! Ah! And it's just like, oh. But being actually legitimately creeped out. I will never forget the first time I saw the hide-and-seek scene. And she's hiding under the table. And you see the feet walk in. And then the water just starts running down the corridor. And I'm like, <laughs> how many get around in there? The water is coming. And I'm feeling, oh, like, oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> Plus, I will never forget the first time mum gets in the lift with daughter and you're like oh it's okay it's okay and the door is slowly opening and I'm like oh god oh god, oh god. Oh, <laughs> yeah. what? yeah yeah <laughs> it creeped me out oh I got I got the the real like Willie's watching this movie I'm glad I watched it during the daytime because at yeah. night it would have been a little bit of a of a yeah. Yeah. mess yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just so good because obviously this new season we're going into is all about anxiety in the family unit mm-hmm. and these horror films are so much like situations that can be scary are made so much worse when you add that supernatural element or what Asian horror does best is it takes things that are like fears or part of society and turns them into a horror so rather than people like running away because like inbreds are after them or they've they've taken a wrong turn and some yokels which obviously is probably one of the reasons I'll never go on a road trip around America because I'm like you're inbred yokels <laughs> I'm having none of this deliverance shit. they do love harvesting skin either that's just their thing they like making books out of people's flesh and something <laughs> as, as a Brit I've like I've got such a high level for fear and I love Asian horror films but the only true thing that scares me and the only true things I won't watch is anything that really has inbreds in it because that whole like expanse of nothing that some yokel farmers are a little bit inbred that have lived on their land for generations are like oh yeah you gonna squeal for me piggy and i'm like no no i don't want to do that i'm far more scared of like the idea of accidentally running into uh, some american farmers that have lived on their property for like the last hundred years than i am ghosts like ghosts i know how to deal with one guy just whittling something and as you get closer to what he's whittling it's like a human finger (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) nope you can you can keep your creepy farming inbreds no thank you like which is weird because obviously we have the same in britain it's just it's 
everything's closer together. So you would see a farmer go, oh, some inbreds of no teeth and be like, 10 minutes later, I'm in the village pub. It's okay. Inbreds don't scare me because I'm still, at the end of the day, they're just humans. Like supernatural villains always scare me because like if I were to be face to face with a demon like Pazuzu, like I can't do anything if he wants to infest my soul. What am I going to do? Like I can't attack him with a hammer. Like, just at the same time, they're supernatural. They've got that reason they do some of that stuff. When it's a human, I'm just like, but you're human. <laughs> like, why is your brain gone? Ooh, let's have sex with some pigs. Like, and then feed oh, you to them. Oh, come on. When you are human, you have a huge excuse. I got bored. I got, I got bored. Yeah. <laughs> you have a huge excuse. <laughs> I spent but, my life all alone in this huge farm and no one come to talk to me and I got bored. That's why I became a serial killer. <laughs> that's, or one that's closest to my heart. Like if I were to ever be a scary supervillain, it would be something that like I fall too much in love with the writer of a show or writer. Like in Misery, I'm going to be like, I'm going to tie you yeah. up and you're going to write more, <laughs> of, <laughs> more supernatural for me. <laughs> Yeah, break their legs. I'm totally joking. I would never do that. Please don't arrest me. We're all good people. It is fine. But yes. Okay, I have a question for Zoe. Yes. I have a question for Zoe. So, uh, this movie uh, was directed by a man, was written by a man, but it's all on the point of view of female characters, male characters are only supporting the female characters, making things harder and harder for them, but they they are not important. In the end, the mother, the child, and that child are the, the most important figures in this movie. Is this common in uh, Asian horror to to focus on female characters Females. or it's just or it's just a lot a- of the times yes because a women are still seen as weaker they have seen as, as more easily scared to have more anxiety um even the ones that are set with teenagers and stuff you'll get predominantly female teenagers Mm-hmm. All the horrors, all my favourite ones are definitely, and that makes it for the Korean ones as well, because the other great, oh, you guys have to watch Tale of Two Sisters, one of the greatest horror films ever made about a haunted house. It's Korean. Oh. Oh, God. Oh, Tale of Two Sisters, a beautiful family unit haunted house. Ooh, actually, you would love that because it's got some themes in this one. Like, that's like... There's got some very, like... Yeah, it's got some real similarities. I'm just trying to remember, um, both Ring and Darkwater are actually based off novels. And I'm trying to remember the name of the author. And it's it's Koji Suzumi, something like that. Oh, Koji Suzuki. Yeah. Koji Suzuki. And I believe Koji Suzuki is a female story, is a female name. But oh, the original title was From the Depths of Dark. Ooh. And... That's what Tale of Two Sisters is based off of, or what does? No, Tale of Two Sisters is. Um... Oh no, Koji Suzuki is also a male. 
Interesting. Um, Tale of Two Sisters is based off a Korean legend of White Lotus, Red Lotus, and it's kind of a mythology about twin sisters. I'm not going to tell you any more because Tale of, yeah, Tale of Two Sisters, we're definitely going to have to review it for the podcast. Okay. But the reason okay, they use females fine. is just the way that female characters have some kind of expectations of being more likely to have anxiety, stress. Um, they have a, a less secure position within Asian society. So it's easier for horrific elements to come towards them because they don't have a strong, steady kind of a purpose that society lifts them up and really puts them on a pedestal to kind of go, men are strong and focused and work. They don't really have time to get haunted because they are strong and focused and work. Mm. And if something does haunt them, it's a little bit rarer. Strangely enough, some of the Thai horror films actually have more hauntings of male characters because then again, they don't have the same strict worth work to home life ethos that Japan and Korea do. Okay. It's not to say that there aren't horror films that feature like male characters. If you watch the Juon movies, the grudge films and they're the, uh, the grudge. I think the American version had Sarah Michelle Gellar in it. The original Japanese versions they have a male haunting in that but it's, again it's a female ghost okay and because the grudge there's all about which is one of those things that i was asking plato about the grudge is all due on is basically a haunting is not caused by an actual physical ghost in the grudge especially if you watch the original japanese one the storyline is all over the place and half the time you feel like you might be time traveling trying to watch it it's not yeah. a cohesive narrative but it's the mm-hmm. idea that Someone is killed very violently. In the case of The Grudge, it's a mother and the child are killed very violently. And it's not their ghosts that come back. It's the negative energy. It's the release of energy and emotions they felt at the time of death that manifests as a demon that haunts the house. And it haunts various generations of people that come in and out of the house. And eventually, like especially the second one, like when there's a male character that goes in to kind of investigate this demonic entity yeah and then he ends up getting haunted oh cool so i want to watch it not always just oh yeah oh the original yeah japanese grudge films the first two they kind of start as with sequels going a bit doobity 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 yeah. <laughs> and also what ends up eventually happening and it's great it's awful it's great is they finally had the grudge and the ring franchise in those one of those like you know freddy versus jason moments in which they had sadako versus karako and it's like oh my god it's the demon from the grudge versus sadako oh from the ring and it's 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 not scary but it is <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds fun it sounds like they were having a little bit of fun with it and the yeah. fans i'm sure were eating it up yeah um, but yeah, but it's a whole thing that, yeah, it's not necessarily, haunting is not necessarily the ghost of a deceased person. Yeah. It's their emotions and their energy trapped at their time of nice. passing. And if they're not allowed to be like passed on, if the, the, the right rituals and the right respects aren't done, it will manifest as an evil wow. entity. At this final segment of our um, episode today, we wanted to let everybody listening know that we actually kind of had a weird supernatural experience while recording our last podcast bonus episode. Uh, It is the bonus episode that no one will ever hear ever, ever, because I legitimately think demons are (laughs) trying to destroy (laughs) our audio. Um, so, so long story short, we recorded a second 
um, bonus interview session with our resident exorcist, Plato Angelicus, who was so nice to answer our questions again. We answered, he answered a whole bunch of fan questions regarding uh, what do we do in the event that, you know, we suspect that there's a demon activity? You know, how do we, uh, you know, what are the things that, that we could do as people? So it was just a really great content, like a good hour and a half of just solid, good message to share with the world. Then I go to do the editing and lo and behold, all of uh, Zoe and Gaia's audio tracks are great. However, my audio is completely crapped. It's just the entire time, just full on static. And all of Plato, all of his uh, audio has turned into what sounds like a sped up Mickey Mouse. Like, so I'm going to attempt to, you know, insert in samples of that right here. So that way you can listen to it. So I'll put a little break here. His evil is trying to to deceive us, to lead us astray from what is good. Uh, but if we can if we can keep it positive, we keep that that um, that positive energy, um, which is exorcism. Okay, we exercise. We don't, we don't want you. I cast you out. I don't want this. This is not good for me. It's a form of exorcism. You know. Um, then you beat. You know, you, you've, you've defeated it. Hopefully, you heard some of the audio right there, and and that gives you a little piece of what we're talking about. In that, this just sounded creepy. We 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 contacted uh, tech support to see what was happening. They're like, maybe his Wi-Fi wasn't working well. We don't know, but like we've never had this kind of thing happen before. And of course, it's on the time that we're interviewing an exorcist. So um, I don't know. Yeah, something. The weird thing about it was that we've done interviews with him before. We do this podcast so regularly, nothing had changed with the setup. But then as we were interviewing him, we got onto the topic of like unity, karma, energy, the fact that my beliefs aren't that different from like the Catholic beliefs and the other beliefs that I believe in spirituality, energies, like entities, rather than believing in a God. And we were saying how it's all the same thing and like how the way to resist the evils in the world is to spread this idea of unity and love and the strength and the power of words. And at the him talking about the strength of just using words and the conviction of faith in words, the, the breakdown of his actual words started happening. It's like, like they were trying to not, that we had a message and it got destroyed. And then he started talking about one of the things, because one of my questions to him was in this modern world with modern technology, do you think there's more rise in demon activity because there's new ways for them to manifest, new ways to tempt people into opening doorways? And he was saying, yes, he honestly believes that the demon kinds are residing in things like technology and the internet. And we have to be very conscious of what we do on online to each other and doorways and how to keep ourselves safe when doing stuff like just podcasting about this topic. And bizarrely enough, we say, be careful online. There might be demons listening in the internet. <laughs> and, and then all the audio starts getting destroyed. Yeah. It was creepy. Yeah. And it was just like, weird just too much of a little coincidence a little bit. Yeah. i was i was yeah. really really like shaken by this whole thing and tech support wasn't helping at all they're like well we really don't know either so <laughs> sorry i was like, ah! <laughs> like demons are coming somebody help us so awesome. that concludes our episode today thank you everybody for listening we we miss you we love you thank we you. love your support and please hashtag save the exorcist we still want to save it <laughs>
Yeah, indeed. Yay. And thank you for listening. <laughs> Always waving Bye. and nobody sees. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> That's not important. Bye.